seated. If you will, you can be turning to John 19. Just a couple of announcements. Uh, uh, no meal this this weekend. I know everybody's got lots of family and a lot of cooking to go on. <laughs> it's a slim pickings anyway, so we can we'll forego the meal this month. Hopefully, give everybody a little bit of a break. I wanted to say hello on behalf of those brethren in Louisville, Arkansas, John 19, Louisville, Arkansas. Uh, they, they send their love and affection to the brethren here in San Diego. And uh, that was sweet to me. That's an impressive group. They love the gospel. Louisville is a town of 915 people. And it's, it's hard to find unless you know somebody there. <laughs> Just about can't find it. And uh, they had six pastors come this year. Six pastors. And and Mindy and Julie and Teresa and she, uh, Shirley all came with those four preachers. Some of them flew in. Some of them drove in. And we showed up. And everybody, it was all the preachers and, and their wives. Somebody's got to tell them. The preachers and their wives. And then whoever else felt like coming over. Uh, Darwin cooked two filet mignons for everybody that showed up. I mean, a spread. They fed us. To, I, 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 my button ain't button. They fed us and fed us and fed us all before I ever preached to them. I opened with Abraham. He went and got the young, good calf and hasted to get the butter and hasted to get the bread before the Lord and them two angels ever spoke. That's a good example. Of it. All the expenses we had were covered and then some. Tiny little place. What a what a thought, and none of them's wealthy. They're not booming billionaires down there. They're just working folk. They love the gospel, and they told me to send their love to the folks here. So, I wanted to do that. You got John nineteen. We'll look to the left a little bit there in John eighteen verse thirty eight. John eighteen verse thirty eight. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? Speaking to the truth. And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But he had a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. That's us, isn't it? Now let's look at chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. He beat him. He had it to be. That's one of those cat of nine tails, and they wove into the the, the tails of it, the, the fabric and the leather. They wove into it glass and pieces of shattered, shattered bone and hunks of metal and anything they could, and they scourged him. It's 40 lashes save one. That's 39 lashes. Most people, historians tell us plainly, most people don't make it to be crucified. The average man, if you could find a man 
probably hard back then too. If you could find a man, he'd probably die getting beat with the 39 lashes from that cat of nine tails. Most of the time that killed him. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns, put it on his head. Probably the kind of thorns and thorn bushes, you know, you go to trim them, and it, you can't trim them without getting cut. You get poked. They probably put on leather gloves, real pokey type. And they twisted that up, and they made a crown, and they pushed it into the skin of his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Not love taps. They punched him and slapped him and backhanded him hard and a lot. Pilate therefore went forth again. He went forth again and saith unto them, that crowd that had brought our Lord to them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. There's no fault in him. We did all these things to him. He didn't confess to something he did or did not do. He didn't fight back. He gave his other cheek when we smited him. He gave his back to the smiters. I find, again, no fault in him. We're going to behold the man tonight. Behold the man. That's a commandment. That's a all will. I pray he'll command it to one today. We're going to behold the man, but this man we're going to behold, it's the faultless man. There's no fault in him. Old Brother Pink, whenever they wouldn't take care of him and they run him out of England, he was one of the last of the gospel preachers to leave that little island. He came over here. And he pastored a couple of different places and preached a whole lot and but the Lord made him a writer, and he wrote a whole lot. And he really he brought up something really interesting. We looked before at the, the lamb being examined. I showed you that a couple weeks ago. And, uh, Annas examined him, and Caiaphas examined him. That's the one kind of high priest and the other kind of high priest, and then Pilate did. The government, the, the ruling class did. And there was no fault in him. And that's part perfection, isn't it? Three times? Seven times he was declared faultless seven times Pilate says it three times right in this little area in, in John 18 38 Pilate said to them what is truth and when he had said this he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them I find in him no fault at all there in John 19 verse 4 Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them behold I bring him forth to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. You gave him to me, I'm bringing him right back to you. I find no fault in him. Verse 6. When the chief priests, therefore, and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto him, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Pilate declared three times he found no fault in him. But he was one of the seven. One of the seven that said, this is the faultless man that we're going to behold. Turn over to Luke 24. Here's Herod. Luke 24. 
verse 14. Luke 24, 14. Now remember, we looked at last time. Pilate and Herod didn't get along at all, did they? There was that enmity against one another. And after Herod had publicly embarrassed our Lord, then they were fast friends to the end, weren't they? We ought to weigh our friends carefully, shouldn't we? Luke 23, 14. Pilate said unto them, the crowd of Jews that brought him, said unto them, Ye have brought this man unto me as one that perverteth the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, you watch me, this wasn't done in a secret, have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof ye accuse him. I've, I've examined this thoroughly, and I find nothing of fault. That's what you're accusing him of. Colon, verse 15. No, nor yet Herod. For I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. Herod didn't kill him. Now they mocked him, and they didn't mean things to him. Think how many criminals they had come through that courthouse. I mean, this wasn't a once-in-a-lifetime crime. Well, it was as to who it is. But I mean, as far as someone that was accused of a crime coming through there, how many a day did they have? One more. We'll teach him not to come back. And then what happens if the police pull over a teenager or something? We'll, we'll, we'll teach them a lesson. We'll make it a little rough on them. They'll quit doing this. I know that it looks, it looks like there's no fault in them and they're innocent. We're going to train them up a little bit. We call that vigilante justice, don't we? Is it right? You don't know what spirit's in you. That's what Herod did. Herod made fun of him, but he said, I find no fault in him. I can't kill this man. I ain't that big of a crook. Look down at verse 39. So Pilate said there's no fault in him. Herod said there's no fault in him. Here's a thief on the cross. Luke 23, verse 39. And one of the malefactors, which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. There ain't no fault in him. What did he do wrong? Nothing amiss. Pilate said it multiple times. Herod said there's no fault in him. The thief on the cross said there's no fault in him. Verse 46. Luke 23, 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now, when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, certainly, this was a righteous man. This was a righteous man. How many are there righteous? None. No, not one. There's none good but God. And he said, this is God. There's no fault in it. This is a righteous man. A couple more witnesses. Turn over to Matthew 27. This is a good variety of witnesses. I'm sure somebody could make up a better description of them. There's some, some high-minded folks and some high in position, and there's some low in position, and there's some mean ones, and there's some nice ones. Here's Matthew 27, verse 3. This is Judas. Judas, had, remember, well, he got so sad. And he went back and he tried to give that money back. Matthew 27, verse 3. 
Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. Innocent. What's innocent? Not at fault. He's faultless. Pilate said it. Herod said it. The thief said it. The centurion said it. That pierced his side. Judas said it. The one that betrayed him. His friend that betrayed him with a kiss said, That's innocent blood. That's innocent blood. Pilate's wife, put down verse 19, Matthew 27, 19. When he was set down on the judgment seat, Pilate, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. What's a just man? Somebody that's righteous, somebody that has no fault in them. That's six. I'll give you one more, verse 54. Matthew 27, 54. I said there was a good spread of people in this. Here's the largest spread. Matthew 27, 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. This is Him. This is the just one. This is the Holy One of Israel. Who does that encompass? Everybody else. Whosoever was standing by, they declared this. That's Pilate, his wife, Herod, the thief on the cross, Judas, the centurion, and all of them that were with that centurion, all of them declare the faultlessness of Christ. All of them said there's no fault in him. This is an innocent lamb. There's no spot. There's no blemish at all. <laughs> Remember that time he gave me a dirty look? No, you don't, because he didn't do it. I thought about getting hit in the face and just going, that's wrong. If I did that, if I sucked air through my teeth, that's wrong. He didn't do that. He set his face like a flint. I labor this. I hope we can admire God. Maybe I'd just, somebody had seen him as he is, that he willingly did this. And just say, what a God. Back in our text in John 19. This is, the characteristic, the character of the one we're going to behold. John 19, verse 4. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. Behold the man. That's the message of this whole book that you've got in your laps. you got your King James Bible in your lap right now. I'm going to give you the keys to unlock every page in it. Behold the man. Behold the man. A hundred and four times in Isaiah, the word behold is used. 
Behold your God. He's saying, Behold me. You behold the man. Behold. You adore, take account. You sit there, study it real good, and commit your entirety of your life, soul, and heart to it. Behold the man. That's a commandment. Behold the man. That's what it was in Ruth, this man. <laughs> she said, sit still. Naomi was telling Ruth, her daughter-in-law, said, sit still, my daughter, until thou knowest how the matter will fall. For the man will not rest until he hath finished the thing this day. That's redemption. That's what's taking place here. This is beholding the man. There in Zechariah 6, it says, And speaking unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man. God says that. God said, Behold the man whose name is the branch. And he shall grow up out of his place. And he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord. And he shall bear the glory. And he shall sit and rule upon his throne. He shall be a priest upon his throne. And the council of peace shall be between them both. Behold him. Look at him. Adore him. God tells us to. Here it says, behold the man. But I want you to notice something. This is one of those benefits of not having a red letter Bible. I got both. But Notice Pilate there in verse 5. Get your pencil out and you underline that. Is that in italics? Is that in italics in your Bible, Castle? It is in mine. Oh, yeah. yeah. It is. <laughs> Ask Paul's call. We're getting there. Read it without that in italics. The translators put that in there for us to read it easier. And I've told you that before, haven't I? You see it in italics? Read it with the italics. Read it without the italics. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and saith unto them, Behold the man. Beaten, tattered, torn, marred, with a crown of thorns, blood running down his face, punched in the head, back tore all to pieces, a purple robe on him, and he stands up, he walks out. Every word's important. We ought not read over these things. We ought not drown ourselves in information and we ought to pay attention to God's word. Behold the man. He said it. That's a miracle. Spend all week on that verse and you think about that. And then go out and think, well, if I got hit 39 times with a cat of nine tails, if somebody punched me in the face for about an hour and a half, I'm going to get up and walk out that door and stand out and yell, behold the man. <laughs> he did. He did. What about this man? We experience things in a different order than how they truly happen, don't we? How do we always label Christ? He's the prophet, priest, and king. Isn't he? How'd that happen? He's king of king and lord of lord. He's always been king. And because of who he is, he's our priest. He made intercession for us. That's him doing it right here. And then as the prophet, his voice speaks through any mouthpiece he chooses, sees fit to do so. It's his business. He speaks to us and says, I've interceded for you because I'm the king. You see how it works? We say prophet, priest, and king. Go, we, we'll get to Ephesians 1. Read that backwards one day. Start about verse 11. Work your way backwards. The Holy Ghost abounds towards us through the preaching of the gospel and tells us all these things. And we see all this stuff happening. Christ paid for our sins. That's what he came to do. Why? The Father purposed all this before time. 
we start on the back end, don't we? All the works, like Barabbas, all, everything's done, and we just get told about it at the end. <laughs> You're free. Go home. Do what you want. What about this man we're to behold? Behold the man. Beholding this man, there's some things that are declared about him. This is the covenant man. This is the man that the Lord, the Father, entered a covenant with before this world ever was. And he said, I'm going to make a people just like you. You ask me, that's what he's talking about Psalm 2. You ask me, I'll give you the heathens for your inheritance. And I'm going to make them just like you. And you're going to stand up for them and you're going to be their surety and you're going to be their prophet and their priest and their king and you're going to do absolutely everything. They ain't going to do nothing. No sacrifices. And you're going to do it for them and you're going to die for them and you're going to intercede for them and they're going to be made just like you. And we're, they're, all they're going to do is give the sacrifice of their lips. What's that? Say thank you. We teach our children that, don't we? Not nowadays, but used to. They taught children to say thank you. The Lord teaches his children to say thank you. Thank you. That's all we're going to do. Give thanksgiving. This is the covenant man. This is the one the Lord entered into a covenant and he prepared him a body to do all this. This is the promised man. There in Genesis 3, it said, The Lord said unto the servant, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all the cattle and above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shall thou eat all the days of thy life, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. I don't love snakes. You get that? There's enmity between me and the woman. Or between me and the serpent. Between the woman and the serpent. And between thy seed and her seed. Eve's hearing all this. Adam's hearing all this. And that's the most intelligent people that's ever walked face this earth. Other than our Lord. Uh, when we talk about smart, Adam named all the animals. Go get you a hundred scientists and put them in one room. They can't name all the animals. He did without breaking a sweat. He was without sin. He was brilliant. And we've just been deluded every generation. I'm afraid to meet him. He's like, that's my office. That's, <laughs> that's what y'all become to? Whew. They were listening to all this, and the Lord said, It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. said, Seed, as in one, singular, and said, It. It's going to bruise your head. That means it's going to kill you. You're done. You're going to hurt him. It's going to hurt pretty good. You're going to bruise the heel, but you're going to be defeated. Defeated. And then there in Genesis, the next verse, says, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived, and she bare Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Oh, he's faithful. He said he's going to do this, and he just did it. Now, she was wrong. She was an heir. But that's who she was looking for. Eve was looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of her faith. Eve looked for the man of God, but Cain was merely a man. He was just a man, not the man. The man. This man were to behold. He's the manifest Messiah. Behold the man. This is the one that was entered the covenant before this world was. This is the promised one, and this is the one that came. He's standing right there. Hebrews 10 says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice, and offering, thou wouldest not but a body. Thou preparest me. A body. Manifest not as if he was made flesh. When that word was made flesh, it's not theoretically he was, or in essence he was with us. He was made flesh. 
He speaks plain. <laughs> he was made like us. We go through Ruth, that kinsman dream. He had to be related to us. That's why he's born of a woman. I can go into the biology of it later. But he had her DNA, not Adam's. And he's part of us. Uh, he was our kindred. And he was able to redeem because of what blood was pumped through him, because of who he was. And he was willing. That's why he's there. So it wasn't some stoic, cold, dead-letter contract he entered into. It was out of love. Love for somebody that's unlovable. <laughs> oh, mess up. More than the sands of the sea. Not just one. That'd be a miracle. one. <laughs> out of them. That's him, the God man. He said, lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it's written of me. Behold the man. That's it. Start in Genesis, work through Revelation. Revelation, singular, not revelations, plural. The book's called Revelation because it reveals a person. Behold the man, this man. What did those there, when they came out of that judgment hall, all those lost people there, all those Jews there, what did they behold when they beheld the man? Christ walked out front and said, Behold the man. What did they behold? A bloody mess. I mean, worse than a prize fighter. He was marred all to pieces. What would you think if you saw something like that? Failure? Criminal? Guilty? He had what's coming to him. We think, oh, I would never think that. They used to drown folks in this nation to see if there's witches. And if they floated, they was, it was bad. And if they stayed out at the bottom of the lake, then they must have been a good person. That's our DNA that did that. You get that? We didn't fall far from a tree. He walked out. He said, behold the man. They said, what man? We can't tell what you are. That's what they saw. Just, just a man. They saw, those that didn't believe, they just see a man. When they read that book right there, they just read about a man. He said, behold the man. Behold the man. If you didn't have given eyes to see. What did Satan see whenever he came out there? He said, behold the man. He said, I got him now. Satan doesn't know the gospel. You get that? <laughs> he might know it in letter, but he doesn't understand it. He can give a systematic approach to these words, but he don't know what the Lord's doing. You've experienced grace. You've got a, I, mighty, I, I can't tell you exactly what he's going to do, but i got an idea what's going to have something to do with this gospel. There's substitution going on here, because that's supposed to be me up there. I want to give a caution about the details of this physical event. I want to be careful as we go through this. Because whenever we read these things, our nature is our sin nature is to feel so sorry for the Redeemer. Instead of feeling sorry for our sin that did that to him. It's easy to get pitiful and have some crocodile tears roll down our cheeks. That's so sad. That's what them some of that crowd did that. But to say that to weep because my sin is what that looks like. That's what this requires. And we don't really enter into how bad this was, even physically. Physically, we can't describe it. Prophet says, marred more than any man. That's so. I don't know how. That's so. We can't enter into it. And it's a rare thing. I mean a rare thing for a preacher to get up and point folks to that spiritual forsaking and punishment for sin that this what this was. They beat him. I hate that, but God's about to turn his back on him. The presence of God is about to depart to the presence of God because God was made sin and made me his righteousness. 
of fear and trembling we ought to approach this. With fear and trembling. This is the gospel taking place. If a man believes one thing and preaches another, you can't have two gospels, you got no gospels. You get that? That's so. And a gospel that, that does something to the head and doesn't do something to the heart ain't no gospel at all either. If all this is in your head and that doesn't do, move your heart, you ain't got a heart in you. You're dead in trespasses and sins and I pray for you. An unregenerate person only sees a poor, weak man being beaten for something he didn't do. What does a believer behold? When you see him walk out there and he says, Behold the man. Oh, what's the Lord's people see when that happens? I see the scriptures fulfilled. In Genesis 3, when the Lord told Eve that, right there it's taking place. He said he's going to do it. We didn't know how. He's doing it. There it is. That's the scriptures being fulfilled. He stands there doing what he said he was going to do. Because his whole book's beholding him. He said, you believe Moses? If you had believed Moses, you would have believed me because he wrote about me. <laughs> Say you believe Moses. I see the cleft of the rock standing on that judgment hall porch saying, behold the man. That's our hiding place. You want a hiding place? Do you want shelter from a storm? He's standing there saying, behold the man. Speaking there where Pilate stands. That's what the Lord told Isaiah in Isaiah 32. And a man shall be as a hiding place from the wind and a covert from the tempest. Behold him. Look at him. Run to him. Run to him. The world had sympathy for that tortured 33-year-old man standing there. They had pity on him. The child of God sees the authority of God's power standing there. That's God's authority. That's the potentate standing there. It's the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God taking place. We know that. Our Lord said, no man take my life from me. I lay it down. That's, and he was proving it because he was standing. You couldn't have stood. The world's strongest man, whoever it is that won a competition this year, he couldn't have stood. Christ was standing. And he walked out in front of that building. Left foot in front of right foot. Most died being scourged. He walked out, stood, and then yelled, Behold the man. That's the man, Christ Jesus. The one that's both God and man, that's the man side. I don't hardly want to be called a man anymore. <laughs> Boy, it can shave. That's what I, I don't know many men, do you? That's a man. And I talked to a friend of mine who's one of the biggest, he's about that tall, but he's the biggest man I ever met, one of them. And uh, I said, there ought to be more manliness in this nation. I'd love it. But could you imagine our Lord, when he went to work that day, you think there's ever a man that put in a day's work like he did? I admire him. I want to be like him. I'm going to be one day, but I want to be like him now. I'm like a small child. I want to be like daddy. I be like my big brother. I want to be like my king. That's what this constituent wants. He walked out from that building. The believer beholds this as the man that created the heavens and the earth. And this, this creator was making peace. Does that look like making peace to you? No, it looks like he's getting beat to death. Well, he said it was making peace. I believe. Throw Colossians 1. I'll show you. Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat>
Look at verse 15. Hold on, I'm going to flip here. Colossians 1, 15. Speaking of Christ. It said, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him. Is there somebody on the throne? Is there a government official somewhere on earth? And for him. All things. The stuff you don't even see is for him and is created by him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He's the head of the body, the church. That's us. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross. What do you see when you see him come out there bleeding head to toe with a robe on him and a crown of thorns and he yells out, behold the man. He's making peace for you. He said, I go to prepare a place. I go to prepare a place of atonement, of reconciliation. He's doing it. You believe him? That's him doing that. By him to the reconciled, all things unto himself, by him I say, whether there be things in earth or things in heaven. And you, that were sometime alienated and enemies. I wasn't even born. You wasn't born yet. We're going to come into this world, enemies of God. Now that could be in the church, that could be down to the pool hall. It don't make a difference. We're enemies. You are an enemy of God. And that's when he went and offered himself up for us. You were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Half what he's doing right now. Everything. Fulfilling the scriptures, doing it all by his determinate counsel of foreknowledge and his power, just showing himself as a, the man, because I'm a man and you're a man. We're mankind. Our substitutes. Proving himself to his people and the world. To, all, to, to see that now. To see that now in this life. The very one that reconciled us is also the sacrifice. He's the sacrifice. We behold the man as our sacrifice, don't we? In Romans 5 it says, For by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. That's Adam. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. That's the acceptable bloody sacrifice. Standing on Pilate's doorstep. Behold the man. Look at it. Behold him. It's a definitional term. This is it happening right now. I thought, you know, as, as uh, you couldn't even tell it was blood. You know, it's bleeding. I saw a fight recently, and that, that fellow's nose got busted, and there's blood going everywhere. And a little bit of blood goes a long way. A gallon of blood would be a huge puddle. He was bleeding hard. Why does this snow? He's faultless. That's been proven in perfection, hasn't it? The faultless Lamb of God right there. Blood covering all of it. That's what we are. Washed perfectly in His holy, precious blood. The blood of the, the Lord of glory. Romans 3. Look over here real quick. Romans chapter 3. 
23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. This is what's taken place. This is the just and the justifier. Where's boasting then? It's excluded. All this, he did all this alone. Peter wasn't up there holding his hand. Nobody's up there whispering good words of affirmation in his ear. He tread this wine press alone. Where's boasting then? It's excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man's justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Because Christ was there fulfilling the law every jot and tittle. And he said, it's finished. It's done. You want anything to it? No. You going to take something from it? No. It's finished. Finished. And the man gets all the glory. Turn over to Revelation 1. We'll be done. We behold that man who shall be bowed to and worship. Revelation 1, verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace. Where did that peace come from? He established it in his blood. From him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him, this one that, that did all this. We're just getting started. It's going, we're going to take our time going through John 19. To him, behold the man, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold him. That means admire, adore, adhere to the man. Latch on to him, don't let go. Forsake all and cling to him. Forsake everything, cling to him. Isaac asked his father, going up that mountain to worship God. He called and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Where's the lamb? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself. A lamb for a burnt offering. Just like Abraham, our father Abraham, just like John the Baptist, just like all the apostles, just like all the disciples in the old days, just like all of God's mouthpieces throughout time, I tell you, behold the man. Behold the lamb. Behold your God. Does it not been all? I want to cry and clap 
and laugh and weep. <laughs> Hold him, adore him, and adhere to him. Cling to him with all that's in you. Come to him. Well, next week, there in verse 14 of John 19, we'll look at and Pilate saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. Hope it didn't keep you too long. We've only beheld the man tonight. This is the king. This man's the king. <laughs> what a king we have. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word you've given us.